Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. Let's read Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. I told the first service I was scheduled to teach today. And then about three weeks ago, Jonathan texted me and said, put me in, coach. That's literally what he said. I want this text. So Jonathan's going to teach today. Um, and I lost all my hair in the first service, so it's, uh, he's, he's going to bring it. All right. Let's stand for the reading of the Word of God, please. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Uh, thank you, Bradley. My name's Jonathan. It's my honor to be with you today. If you would, you can have a seat. Y'all know that when we come up here, <clears throat> that we're not up here to talk at you. Stephen doesn't come up here, and Mary doesn't come here to sing at you and put on a concert. They're up here to lead us in worship. Today, I'm not up here to talk at you. I'm up here to help us to see something. So I'd love for you to come with me today. Don't just be here, but be with me and help me. I need your help. How can you do that? Maybe you can say amen every now and again. There's probably some easy spots in here to to do that. Thank you. (laughs) A few more of those would help me along the way. This text is, it's hard. I'm just going to warn you, it's hard. It's been beating me up for three weeks. And I've struggled. I've struggled a lot to really understand how this text helps us to see this transition that's, a, that's happening in our text. And it's going to propel us through the rest of the book of Hebrews. I don't know about you, but every now and again, you get a little word of wisdom, and that may happen while you're driving down the road. That may happen while you're in the shower. For me, it happened on the throne. I don't know why. That's just when it came. And I was praying. I was like, God, I need your help. I am struggling to understand your word. 
I need your help. I, I'm really struggling. There was just this spot in this text that I just felt like I couldn't get past it. And then he said, I want you to see it like a camera lens. It zooms out, and then it zooms in, and then it zooms back out. Have you ever been watching a movie and where you see there's a full room of people? Let's say you're at a restaurant, and you're watching a movie, and you see the whole restaurant. You hear all the conversations. You see all the people. You see maybe some friends having a jovial conversation, enjoying great food. You see a husband and wife having a meaningful conversation, and you hear all of it, and you see all of it, and then the camera zooms in on one person. It zooms in and you can, and then it zooms in a little bit more and you can almost feel like you can hear their heartbeat and you can hear their thoughts before they even say them. And then it zooms back out and as it zooms back out, everything comes back into focus and all the conversations start coming back. The noise in the room begins to amplify and you see all the people again and you hear all the conversations again. That's like our text today. So I want you to go with me. I need your help and I would love for us to hear and understand and feel what it is that the writer of Hebrews wants us to feel today. See our text today, it starts with the word for which means because. And if you've ever taken the reading scripture class, you know that's not a great place to start because a for statement means he's about to tell you why he said what he just said. And so if you haven't taken the reading scripture class, we'd love to encourage you to do that. It's going to be happening soon, and I promise you it'll be worth all of your time. And since our text today starts with the word for, we need to back up a little. We need to consider what we've heard in chapter 4 of Hebrews. What have we heard? Four, three times in chapter four, we've heard, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So hopefully right there, you can see the camera lens is zoomed out really wide. Everyone, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And it's in that, that the encouragement said, let us fear, lest there be any among you who would hear and not believe. See, we've come to understand that there will be some who hear and rebel because of the hardness of their heart. They will not believe. And it's because of this that they will not enter the rest that God has provided. But there's also some who will hear and their hearing will be united with their faith and their faith will lead them to believe that Jesus is the one and the only. And these who believe and hear, they're called the children of God, the offspring of Abraham, the one in whom the Father has given to the Son and the one whom he is bringing to glory. See, the call for those who hear and believe is to strive with the help of the Holy Spirit to enter the rest that God has provided from the foundation of the world in his son, our great high priest, the one who provided propitiation for our sins. And the call is to rest in the completed work that he has done. And that brings us to our text today. Anytime, again, you see the word for, 
that should lead us to ask the question, why? Why should we fear lest there be any among us who hear and don't believe? Why should we strive to enter the rest that Jesus provided our salvation? Let's read. Let's read 4, Hebrews 4, verse 12 again. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Why should we fear? Why should we strive? Because the word of God is the only thing that reveals and exposes the heart, the deepest part of you. God's about one thing. He's not about your outward appearance. He's about your heart. And so for us to better understand the why, why we should fear, why we should strive, first we need to ask, what is the word of God? Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So precisely the word of God is what God has spoken to us by his son. So that should lead us to ask, what did his son say? Turn with me to John 6. We're going to listen to the words of Jesus. Since his words are the words of God, let's listen to what he had to say. John 6. Follow with me. Verse 35 of chapter 6. Jesus speaking to those who were following him. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. Skipping down to verse 53, he continued, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh, of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Skipping down to verse 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Did you hear it? But there are some of you who do not believe. And in verse 65, that is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And in verse 66, after this, after he spoke, many of his disciples turned away. Those who heard, those who followed, turned away and no longer walked with him. Let us fear lest there would be any among us, Rez, who would hear the words of God and not believe. Do you hear his voice? Then believe and strive to enter the rest. Because Jesus continued and he turned to his 12 in John 6 and he says, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to leave like they did? Do you believe? That's what he's asking. Simon Peter answered him, 
said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So I'll ask you, Rez, do you hear his voice? Have you heard the words of God? Have you believed? Has the Holy Spirit taken out your heart of stone and given you a soft, receptive heart to trust and believe and know that Jesus is the Holy One of God? So the question the writer has led us to is why? Do you see it? Why should we fear? Why should we strive? Because the words that you have heard, the words spoken by Jesus, will have an immediate impact on the heart. You just saw it in the Gospel of John. They heard and they said, we don't believe. And they left. And others said, we do believe that you are. So how does the word of God have such an immediate impact on hearts? It's because the word of God is living and active. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 tells us how the word of God has such an immediate impact. God, through his prophet in Isaiah 55, verse 10 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Because the word of God is living and active, because the word has a purpose and it will not return empty, the word of God will accomplish its purpose every time. So we have to ask if the word is God, if the word of God is going to accomplish its purpose every time, what's its purpose? The purpose is to reveal and expose and save hearts. But before we run and try to consider the purpose, let's consider how it accomplishes its purpose of revealing and saving hearts. Verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 4 helps us with that, helps us understand how the Word of God accomplishes this purpose. It says the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. The point, there's nothing sharper than the Word of God. I've often heard it said that a sharp knife hurts less when it cuts. Cody, I know you've had a little experience on maybe some pain there. I've got a dull knife. I'm wondering if you could test this out. If we cut you with this, would that, would that hurt? Yes. Or I've got a military-issued double-edged pocket knife. I was wondering if we could test that out, see if that hurts less than this as it cuts. Or, or we could just use the word of God. It says it's the sharpest tool. See, the word of God is so sharp that it cuts and it pierces and it divides to the soul and the spirit, to the joint and the marrow, to the thoughts and intentions of your heart. 
I think the author of Hebrews here is not giving us three different pictures, rather one and overemphasizing that it cuts all the way to the deepest parts of you. All the way and nothing cannot be pierced or divided by the word of God. Do you feel that? How many of you would you say, when I read the word, when I hear the word, it pierces all the way to the core of me? It touches the seat of my emotions, my affections, my thoughts, my intentions. When I read the word, it pierces all the way to those thoughts that no one else can see, that no one else can hear. I mentioned in our text that the camera is going to zoom in. Can you feel it? It's zooming in on your heart right now. But there's still more zooming in. Are you ready? Or were you ready for it to zoom all the way into the deepest part of you? First, let's read Hebrews 4.13. Because this is going to help us to continue to understand how the Word of God accomplishes its revealing and saving purpose. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Let's ask, who is it that has these all-seeing eyes? I got one. It's God. God has the all-seeing eyes. That should make a light bulb go off in your head. The one who spoke the word is the one in whom is seeing his word accomplish its intended purpose. Verse 13 says, no person can hide from these all-seeing eyes of God. See, the picture here is that everyone has heard the word and their heart is exposed before the all-seeing eyes of God. And the result is he sees your deepest parts. And when God looks on your exposed naked heart, verse 13 says, we must give an account. What does that mean? It literally means you must reckon with what the word has revealed as it's pierced and divided and the all-seeing eyes of God are requiring you to reckon with, did you hear my words? Did you believe? Have you entered my rest? Or could we just put it this way? Have you sinned against me? My Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Almighty God, creator of everything, he's looking at his creature, you, and he's asking, are you doing that which I created you to do? Are you believing in me, putting your faith in me, depending on me, abiding in me? Right now, do you feel it? Do you feel how you just want to curl up in a ball and hide? Do you feel how you just want to run, run away, but you can't? Right now, the camera is zoomed all the way in on your heart to the deepest parts. You're naked. You're exposed. Your heart has been pierced, and God is staring right at you. And he says, you can't run. You can't hide. You must reckon with that which my word has exposed. So how are you going to reckon with it? Well, I, th I can only think of two responses. When your deepest thoughts, your deepest intentions are laid bare before a holy and righteous God. The first response 
Jesus, I know you're the way. I know you're the truth. I know you're the life. I know you said you're the door, but I'm really struggling with this whole take up your cross thing. That seems really extreme. I mean, I, I, was, I just can't go there. That's, I just can't do that. I can't go all the way in like that. But you know, Jesus, I'm a good person. You know, I, I, I do good things. I help people. You saw me the other day. I stopped and helped that person change their tire. I even gave them some food to help them along their way. I go to church. I'm a good person, Jesus. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we've deceived ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And it's with this response that an almighty, all-seeing God looks upon that exposed heart and his word has revealed unbelief. And that heart will not enter rest, his rest. See, the other response is you're naked, as you're exposed, as your heart has been pierced and divided and God is staring right at you and you can't run, you can't hide the other response, oh God, I am wretched. Oh, wretched man that I am. I have sinned against you. Oh God, you see all of me. My heart desires to trust in you, but I've sinned. I'm broken right now before you. I beg that you would give me your mercy. Forgive me of my sins and help me to follow as your spirit leads me to depend on you, trust in you, abide in you. 1 John 1.19 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So come with me. I want us to really feel how the camera has zoomed all the way in because it's going to lead us to verse 14, 15, and 16 and help us to understand how this text is shifting us to propel us into the rest that Hebrews has to say. Can you see the Father? He's staring right at you. Can you see that his word has accomplished its purpose? Can you see his all-seeing eyes staring at your heart, reckoning, asking you to reckon? But this is our loving father. He is our father and he is full of truth. And he is a just father and he's a righteous father. Can you see the son, the one in whom all power, all authority has been given? And can you see him seated at the right hand of the father? Can you see the Father as he's waiting for you to reckon what has been exposed? And all we want to do is curl up and ball up and hide. Then, can you hear the Son? Can you hear him speak on your behalf as your high priest to the Father and he says, Father, this is a heart that I've chosen. This is a heart that you've called. The Spirit has taken out a heart of stone. 
and by your grace has gifted a soft heart, receptive to you, believing in you, trusting in you, depending on you. This is a heart that I shed my blood for and covered all of their sins, their past, their present sins, and their future sins. I paid it all. My blood covers what you've exposed. And as the Father hears the Son speak on your behalf, the Father looks back at you and is gracious, loving, caring, compassionate way. He says, you're mine. You're my child. You are forgiven. My spirit is in you, the same spirit that helped Jesus as he was on earth, now lives in you. Now go, live in the world, but don't be of the world. Lean into my spirit, who is your helper, and abide in me. Can you feel it, church? Can you feel the praise well up inside of you, the fountain of joy explode out of you? Thank you, Jesus, that you are my high priest, that you spoke on my behalf, that you shed your blood, that you paid it all for me. Thank you. I just want to close my laptop right here and quit because what's better than that? But Bradley said, I have to go through verse 16. And this is where I struggled, church, right here. This is the spot. I couldn't get past it. I literally just wanted to quit right there. This is where it zooms back out. And I want this to help us to understand and have clarity because this is the pivotal spot in Hebrews that I believe where the writer of Hebrews is no longer going to talk to everyone who hears his voice. Rather, he's going to primarily, for the rest of the book, talk to those who have heard and have believed. So let's see how it zooms out in verses 14 to 16. For us to better understand how it zooms out, I think we should listen to the words of Jesus, since his words are the ones that matter. Turn with me to John 17. Jesus, he spoke on your behalf. We just heard him. He also prayed for you in John 17, and we call it the high priestly prayer. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to scoot over to someone that does. As we read, because I can't paraphrase his words, read John 17. We're going to start in verse 6 and read through verse 20. Our hope here is we want to see how it zooms out so that we can better understand the rest of our text today. Starting in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. This is Jesus praying to the Father. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words 
that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Do you hear it, church? And I'm praying for them. And I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Do you see the context as it zooms out? Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for you as your high priest. He prayed that the Father would keep you and that his joy would be fulfilled in you. But Jesus prayed, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them in your power, sanctifying them in the truth, which is your word, Father. So we who have heard and we believe, we live in a world that's broken. And we endeavor to live in a world, but not be of the world. And so the camera has zoomed out and let's see how our text helps us to understand how we are to live in this broken world, but not be of it. Let's read Hebrews 4.14. Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. See, since then can be translated as therefore. Therefore, since we have heard and believed and we've entered into his rest, our salvation, we have a confession. Aren't you thankful that you have a confession, church? Now, you may be asking, what do you mean by a confession? Am I supposed to confess my sins? No, that's not what this is talking about. A confession is a statement of what you believe. See, the contrast here is those who heard and did not believe, they don't have a confession. They have nothing on which to stand firm on which they believe. But you, believers in Christ... Aren't we thankful that we have a statement of faith that is founded on the word of God, spoken through his son, that he is your high priest? And it's if we have the confession, 
And if this is the basis on which we are to live in the world but not be of the world, I think it's important that we understand what is our confession. We profess and believe that Jesus was sent by God, made like us, sharing in flesh and blood, took on human form, and he did something that we could have never done for ourselves. Hebrews 2 says that in human form he was tempted, he suffered, but in his dependence on the Holy Spirit, he did not sin. And then he offered his pure, innocent, spotless blood as the perfect sacrifice to a holy and righteous God to make propitiation for your sins, your past, your present, and your future sins, and as a result, defeated the power of death over you and delivered us from the fear of death. And he offers us rest in what he has accomplished as our great high priest. Aren't you thankful that you have a confession today? But there's a phrase here in verse 14 that we need to wrestle with. See, the original hearers of Hebrews, they would have paused when they heard, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. Because in their mind, there's never been a great high priest that passed through the heavens because there was never a sinless high priest. Rather, on a yearly basis, the high priest would first have to offer blood sacrifice for their sin before they could offer a blood sacrifice for the sin of all the people. And they had to do this on a yearly basis. So what does it mean that we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens? We have a great high priest who went once, once and for all, by the virtue of offering his innocent blood, he passed through the veil and went straight into the presence of God. And Hebrews said he made purification for our sins. He paid the price. He paid it in full. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Believers, we don't just have a high priest. We have a great high priest in as we have rehearsed our confession and what our great high priest has done for us and we profess what we believe, can you feel your confidence grow in that which is your confession and lead us to praise him for what he has done? Thank you, Father, that we have a confession. And it's in this attitude of thankfulness, what do we do with this confession? Verse 14 tells us, it says, let us hold fast to our confession. Now, I think it's easy to run to the how do we hold fast, but for a deeper appreciation, I think we should first ask, why do we hold fast to our confession? And verse 15 helps us to understand that. Like I said, if a verse starts with the word for, you might want to ask, why did he say what he just said? Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Why do we hold fast to our confession? Because we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness. Jesus lived in the world 
and was tempted just as we are. And it's because of this Jesus can sympathize with us when we feel weak and unable to stand firm in our confession as we resist the temptation of sin. And it's, we must understand that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we were, but he did not sin. The Bible tells us that while Jesus was on earth, he was both fully divine and fully human, but he did not depend on his divinity to resist the temptation of sin. Rather, he depended on the Holy Spirit in his humanity to resist the temptation of sin and depend on the Holy Spirit solely. So because we have a high priest who can sympathize with us and because he was tempted just as we are, when we are tempted and when we feel weak and unable to resist sin, the call is to hold fast to your confession for what he has done. So what does it look like to hold fast? To better feel that, I think we should consider like a situation where our confession of faith is being challenged by the temptation of sin to take matters into our own hands. Maybe that's when your integrity is questioned by a coworker or by a business partner. See, it's in that moment when your integrity is questioned you as a believer who confesses that Jesus is sovereign and that he has you in the palm of his hand and he's already won every battle that you're ever going to face. It's in that moment where sin tempts you to take matters into your own hands and try to fix the problem. Maybe even try to turn the tables and question their integrity or maybe try to lie and cover it up. See, it's in this real-life situation of living in the world but not being of the world that we have to hold fast to our confession. Seeing holding fast means you first have to let go of something. You have to let go of I deserve, I earned, I'm owed. And you have to hold fast to the truth. See, when I think of holding fast, I think of doing a one-minute hang on a pull-up bar where your arms are fully extended and your feet are off the ground, and the only thing holding you up there is your grip. The first 15 seconds, pretty easy. Grip feels strong. Life's going good. It's easy to hold fast to your confession of faith. Then you get to about 30 seconds. You start feeling the need to re-grip, maybe try to regain your grip and you feel maybe I'm getting a little tired and maybe man life has thrown you a curveball your integrity has been questioned your coworker is now coming at you and saying you did such and such why'd you do that and it's then that you feel your grip weakening see it's at about 45 seconds when you feel like I can't do this what, what are these last 15 seconds? Are they going to speed up? I mean, what is taking so long? Why is the clock going so slow? That's when you want to throw in the towel. That's when you want to quit and give up. That's when you want to give in to the temptation of sin and lash out against your coworker in anger. But see, Jesus, he sees us in our weak moments and he sympathizes with us because he's felt that same temptation.
And it's in our weak moments when we feel that our grip is giving weak that we feel that our believing is failing us. But Jesus says to his children, I've given you the helper. He will help you hold fast to the words that I've given you. And I'm giving you the Holy Spirit that will help you to live a sinless life. The Holy Spirit will help you hold fast to my words so that you don't sin. And as you're hanging there on the bar and your grip is given out and you're waiting for that last couple of seconds, can you feel in your weakness, can you feel the Holy Spirit reach up and grab your hand and help you to hold fast, to strengthen your grip, to help you to endure and to help you to resist the temptation of sin. See, in our weakness, in our inability to hold fast, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to hold fast and resist sin. He is our help when we are weak and in the time of need. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit who is in you, helping you to hold fast to your confession? And aren't you thankful for your high priest who sympathizes with you in your weakness? So how does the Holy Spirit help us to hold fast when we're weak? Verse 16 helps us to understand that. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. The Holy Spirit leads us with confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. Where does he lead us? To the throne of grace. Where is the throne of grace? I think it's worth considering if we're supposed to draw near. Is the throne of grace far away or is it near? The Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus speaking to his disciples prior to being betrayed and killed, tells his disciples, I'm going away to the Father and it's best that I go away because I will ask my Father to give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, for he dwells with you and he'll be with you. And then in verse 23 of 14, Gospel of John, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will come to him and make our home with him. See, Jesus Right here, he's talking about living in the world, but not being of the world. So based on his words, I think we should consider that the throne of grace is where Jesus is seated on your heart, sovereignly ruling and daily offering his grace to you that you didn't earn or deserve. And if that's true, if that's where the throne of grace is, it's in our hearts, then how do we draw near? We lean into the help of the Holy Spirit, the one he has given us to draw near. The helper is going to help us draw near by reminding us of the words of the Father, by reminding us of his words that sanctify us, his words that are the truth. Do you remember what Jesus prayed over you in the high priestly prayer? He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. 
So the result of drawing near to the throne of grace is to receive mercy and find grace. And it's at the throne of grace, our merciful high priest says to us in our time of need, in our weak moment, when temptation of sin is challenging us to hold fast to our confession, I know right where you are. I've felt the same temptation to give up. I've felt the same weakness to throw in the towel. Don't you remember when I prayed to my father and I said, if there's any way, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Now receive my mercy, receive my compassion, rest in knowing that I have given you the Holy Spirit who's leading you, who's leading you, who's teaching you to abide in me, to depend on me in what I've already accomplished. Then Jesus, can you hear him say, here's my grace. You're my child. I've chosen you. You're mine. My righteousness is your righteousness. You didn't earn it. I freely give it to you. Hold fast to me. Strive to rest in what I've done for you. Draw near to me. Can you hear the song well up inside of you? Draw me close. Teach me to abide. I depend on you. That's the spirit leading us to the throne of grace. When do we draw near? In time of help. When is that? Every day. Because the temptation of sin is there every day. I don't know about you, but I feel that every day, and we must draw near. But this is the beautiful thing, church. We are his body, and we get to do this together. We get to live in the world together, but not be of the world. We are in this together, and that's why it says, let us hold fast. Let us draw near. How do we hold fast and draw near? How do we help each other? You pay attention to your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And when you see their grip weakening on their faith and what you know they believe as the temptation of sin is facing and fighting against them, you remind them of the words of Jesus. You remind them that his words are true. And you help them to draw near by you say, let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit right now to strengthen our confidence in our confession of who he is and what he has done. And you exhort them and you say, depend on the Spirit. Keep holding fast. Keep holding fast. Don't let go. Strive to enter the rest. Strive to draw near. Come with me. Let's go to the throne of grace. Let's find, let's receive his mercy and find grace new right now as we are feeling the temptation of sin. Let's abide in him. Church, we're in this together. This isn't just a you thing. This isn't just a me thing. It's a us thing. He sent us into the world. but not to be of the world. And he's given us his helper 
who will lead us. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's R-E-Z-Faith.com, where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect at resfaith.com.